Uh, and so as we begin uh, our, our sermon this morning, I just want to read to you the text. Uh, our text comes from John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. Let me just read this to you. And the word of the Lord says this. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, uh, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for, fears of the Jew, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples rejoiced when he saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you have called us to be the church, not just in these four walls, but even out there in the world, to be your presence. God, but something that hinders us oftentimes is fear. And so God, may we hear about that today. May we hear about the peace that you offer. In your name we pray, amen. So just last week, we celebrated Easter. The day that Jesus was victorious over sin and death and evil through his death and resurrection. And a week later, we come here, we continue to celebrate. Because the atonement, the actual work of Jesus on, on the cross, the death and resurrection, does not end just on Easter, but it impacts and is significant to our lives every single day. And yet, I would submit to you that even a week later after Easter, that we come and we forget the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I would say, and I think this, there's no accident that this text that we read is right after Jesus' crucifixion where Jesus comes to his disciples and says, do not be afraid. I bring you peace. And oftentimes what hinders us from experiencing the true life through the death and resurrection of Christ is fear. And if you're anything like me, today, right now, as you're sitting in your seat, there's something about fear that we're wrestling with even right now. And so today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that this, this idea of fear traps us. Oftentimes, we are just trapped by fear. And secondly, that this text says that Jesus comes and rescues us from that trap breaks in with peace, and thirdly, sends us out with power and authority. So for those of you that know me, know, know this about me. I love, I love dogs. Anyone here have dogs? Right? Love dogs. I, I love dogs. In fact, uh, and I always say this, I always say, uh, if you don't like dogs, if you hate dogs, uh, there's a little bit of trust that's broken between you and I, because I think that dogs are incredible, and it's weird if you don't like dogs. But that's okay if you don't. Some, some of you are cat people, and I, and I know some of you guys are here. Uh, but I'm a dog person, and a few years ago, uh, when I was living on the east side, I happened to live two blocks away from an animal shelter. And from time to time, I wasn't able to own a dog at the time, so to get my itch, or scratch, to scratch my itch, I would go to the ant to get my itch, because, you know... To scratch my itch, 
I love dogs, so I went to the animal shelter. Let's put it at that. Uh, and, and I would pet the dogs, uh, and I would play with the dogs, and sometimes they would let me walk the dogs. Uh, and it was incredible. Uh, and every time I went, I would always know the dogs that come from kind of a rough past, as you can imagine, being in an animal shelter, a lot of the dogs that were there were there because they were abandoned, they were abused, there was something, there was something traumatic that has happened to them. And I would always be able to identify which dogs they were because when I would come near to the cage, they would start barking really loud. They would start barking and barking and barking. Uh, and I would say, well, that's the one I want to I walk. That's the one I want to pet. And so the, the, the staff person would come, and as soon as we would open the cage to get the dog out, the dog would stop barking, would go to the back of the cage, and just shrivel up, just terrified. And, and finally, you know, after, you know, coursing and, and bringing treats, bringing the dog finally out, we'd play with the dog, and, and for whatever reason, and later I I found out why. The dog, instead of wanting to be free, instead of wanting to play, instead of wanting to experience the life outside of the cage, because of the fear, the dog would actually voluntarily run back into the cage. And and later I found out because the dog feels safer in that caged room. That dog feels terrified out in the real world and finds more security being confined into that cage due to fear, due to past pain, due to not knowing what's on the other side of those doors. And and I look at that picture, and oftentimes that becomes our story, a story that we gravitate, that we resonate with so much. That, that some of us, we are so gripped, so shackled by fear that just like the text that we read, it says that the Jews were so afraid that they locked the doors. And oftentimes, like that animal shelter, like the Jews in, our, in John chapter 20, we, due to our fears, we trap ourselves into this metaphorical cage, in this metaphorical room, and we lock it, and we don't take any chances, we don't take any risks, we don't let ourselves out, we don't let anybody in, because being confined to that room is safe. Nobody can hurt us there. Nothing can happen, except for we won't experience the life that God has ready has prepared for us, that wants for us, because we put ourselves into that room and lock the doors. And so a question for us this morning is, what do you fear? What do you fear this morning? Is it, is it fear of rejection? Is it fear of hurt? Is it fear of death? Is it fear of family challenges? Is it fear of unknowing what the future holds, your job or unemployment? Is it the fear of the opinions of others in your life? I don't know what it is, but a lot of us, we have fears. And this morning, I want us to be able to identify what is my fear. And in case you don't have enough to worry or if you don't have any fears, just turn on the news. Man, every time I turn on the news, it's scary, isn't it? The time that we live, the political strife, war, violence, uh, all these things, the lack of peace. 
And the result, as we talked about, of so much fear is the idea that we become a slave to it. We become trapped into it. And so we look at verse 19. It says, when, the evening, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so on that day meaning Easter, uh, it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's Easter evening that this was being written about. And it says, on the first day of that week, uh, Jesus' disciples all gathered in a house and locked the doors in fear of the Jews. Now, see, what's going on is now they're afraid that they were going to be killed themselves. Now, now, during this time, the biggest rivals of Jesus were uh, uh, the religious Jews. And, and after they had killed Jesus, they wanted to finish the job. They wanted to put an end to the way. They wanted to put an end to this, this Christian movement, this follower of Jesus movement. And so not only did they put Jesus to death, now they're looking out for everyone that were friends or alliances or followers of Jesus to also kill them as well. And so no wonder his disciples who had proclaimed his friendship, his allegiance to Jesus would go into a house and they would lock the doors because they knew that physically that their life was actually in danger. And so they put themselves into the room and locked the doors and when it says they locked the doors in fear, the original word here is the word phobos, right? Uh, and a lot of us, we automatically think of the word phobia. That's where we get the word phobia. And in the ancient Greek, this idea of phobos was not just that you were afraid of something, right? So right now, you know, you know I Googled phobias. And there's a lot of different phobias. You know, there's people that are afraid. Of, there's an actual phobia where people are afraid of nickels, uh, people are afraid of nickels. Uh, there's an actual phobia where people are afraid of toilet paper. Yeah, let's not go there. There's phobias where there's people afraid of peanut butter. Of peanut, I'm like, how could you, how could you be afraid of peanut? I live off that stuff. But this isn't that kind of phobia. This idea of phobia in this original context was in this context of war. Uh, and when they knew that they were just about to die, and so this idea is that there were, the idea is that they were not only afraid, but they were afraid of their lives, and it was a debilitating type of fear. Phobos was a, 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 an idea of an, a debilitating type of fear. And, and you can see that these Jews, when they locked themselves in the room, it was just that. It was inside and out. They were paralyzed by fear, and they locked themselves in where nothing can touch them, where they couldn't move, where they couldn't get out. Nothing can come in. They were just stuck there. And, and that's the story of our lives. When we're afraid, we're trapped, we're stuck. We can't go in, we can't go out. We're just as is. And sometimes we prefer that. Sometimes we actually desire that because it's scarier to take a chance. See, like these disciples, fear causes us to retreat back into a locked room. Again, because the thought of stepping out is too scary. We'd much rather be in a locked room because there's safety in familiarity, isn't it? It feels more safe and more comfortable than taking a chance. A chance to love, to be loved, a chance in pursuing a certain career, a chance to release a certain career, a chance at friendship, 
a chance at reconciliation, a chance at pursuing justice. That stuff is scary. And it causes and induces a lot of fear in our lives. And so instead of taking a chance at any of those, we'd rather say, you know what, never mind. I'm better sitting right here in my chair with the doors locked. See, now fear isn't always a bad thing, right? Oftentimes, fear is a way that our brain tells us that something is actually wrong and that uh, you need to be careful. There's, there's legitimate fears that you, you need to have to protect yourself and to be wise. Uh, but that's not necessarily what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about fears that we create, that we imagine ourselves. It's a story that we make up in our own brains because then it allows us to have the justification of crawling into that room, into that safe place where we don't take risks, where we don't take a chance. Because here's the story, here's the reality, uh, is that we as humans, we want the end of the story always. That's what brings us security and comfort and peace. No matter what the story is, we want to know the ending. So much so that if we don't know the ending, we make one up ourselves. In fact, sometimes we even make up a horrific ending because even a horrific ending is better than having no ending at all. And so then we start to what psychologists call catastrophize things. We let our brains just go there. Oh, that'll never happen. Never. I'll always be hurt. I'll always, you know, be called stupid. I will never do this right. Because our brain allows us to go there because then we can just crawl into that room and lock the doors. See, in Numbers 14, <clears throat> during the exodus, uh, the Israelites, they were, they were leaving captivity. They were leaving slavery from Egypt and they were promised to go to Canaan, the promised land, filled with milk and honey. And at the first sign of hardship, here's what the Israelites say. They say this. They say, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will, take, will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader to go back, to take us back to Egypt. Can you believe that? These Israelites are being sent out. Jesus, or God is saying, look, have courage. Don't have fear. I'm with you. Go in peace. Let's go to the promised land, a land filled with milk and honey. And at the first sign of fear, they say, you know what? Halt. Let's stop. Let's actually go back. Because in their, in their story that they're imagining, it's better to go back into slavery, back to Egypt, where they left then to pursue the unknown where they may or may not be killed, be taken for plunder. They don't know that. They don't know the end of the story. Yet it was safer to go back to Egypt. And we do this often. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example that just happened to me on Friday. <clears throat> I, I was going to the gym and, you know, I was just kind of doing my own thing on the side and, and I was kind of goofing off, and I was lifting weights, and I was pulling this weight, this barbell, off the ground, and suddenly in my leg, in my upper thigh, uh, I felt two pulls. This was just on Friday. 
So if I'm limping around, it's not because I have swag. Like, I'm not trying to be cool. Like, I'm injured, okay? So that's why I'm walking around with a little bit of a limp. And, and, and I felt two pulls, and I just remember that was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. And I've made some really dumb choices in my life. Uh, and, and I was like, man, this, this is bad. And I remember collapsing into a fetal position, and I could not move. I mean, I, my, literally my body was in shock. Uh, and after a few moments, uh, I couldn't move. I roll, I roll on my back, and uh, I couldn't get up. And there was a co- my friend Chelsea, uh, I won't point her out, I won't say it's uh, the person with the pink hair, because that would make it way too obvious. Uh, but my friend Chelsea, uh, who is a Bethany attender, not only my friend, but a coach, my coach, uh, came and just like, was, was helping me. It was a little embarrassing, because I'll be honest, it was my groin, okay? That, that's kind of, that's uncomfortable. Uh, and, and she started taking off my knee wraps and, and my shoes, and she got me eyes, and, and I was really embarrassed. I, and she said, she said, don't worry, I'm a trainer, and I, I have experience. I, I see this all the time. And I'm like, all right, you're so kind. But, you know, I stick an ice pack down my shorts. I'm like, oh, man, this is really painful. There's a class going on. Just, and I'm like, don't worry about me, you guys. This won't happen to you. This is just my stupid mistake. Uh, And here's what I was thinking in the midst of all that. Immediately, I said, I tore a bunch of stuff. Uh, I'm going to have to have surgery. Uh, I'm not going to be able to work out for six months to a year. Uh, And I kid you not, I think this was kind of the shock that was going on in my mind. I said, if I can't work out, the worst part is I will not be able to have donuts and I don't know why, but that is literally, I'm not exaggerating, that is literally the first thing I thought it was, I'm not going to be able to have donuts for, because now I'm injured. <laughs> and then I go, and then I finally make it home, and of course, because I'm smart, I, I get help, like all of us would after an injury. I go to YouTube, and I go to Google, <laughs> uh, and I just... Google these symptoms, which we all know never, ever to do. Uh, but, you know, I got my medical degree overnight. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning big words like adductor and, and psoas and uh, all these random words. And I realized I'm not going li- to live. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> according to WebMD and according to these YouTube videos, I'm not going to make it. It was official. But yet here's the deal. The deal is that I have not seen anybody. No one gave me a diagnosis. No, no one really, I don't even really know what's going on. It just hurts here. And yet my mind, I just, let, I, just I catastrophize oftentimes like what we do. Because I don't want to not know. That's why we go straight to Google, right? I don't want to not know. Even if it's a terrible ending, even if it is, oh, well, at least now I know I need surgery, I need this, I need that. I don't actually know, but yet I let my mind go there. And oftentimes we do that with our own lives. 
And in Matthew 6, 34, we've all heard this before. Jesus says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And I don't know if that's encouraging by Jesus or if that's, if that's discouraging. But, but here's the deal. The idea behind that is it's very encouraging. It's saying, hey, look, you just worry about right now. You just worry about the present I know that there's so many different fears, whether they're real or, or, or unreal or whatever. It is. There's so many things to be afraid of. There really is. I can probably name a hundred things right now that we should all be afraid of. But Jesus is saying, look, stop. There's not enough, you don't even have enough data. You don't know. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. So quit letting your mind, quit letting your imagination go past the reality of today because there's enough to worry about today. You worry about that. You be present in that. And tomorrow will come. But let's live not within within our imagination, not making up stories because that feels better, but to live in the present of today, of the life that God calls us to live. God says, do not fear. All over scripture, God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Those things are often paired up. Do not fear, for I am with you. God says this to the Israelites in the exile. God says this to to Joshua when he's taken over uh, in in leadership. He says this to David. uh, And Jesus says this to his disciples. Do not fear, I am with you. I walk with you. I go with you. I'm beside you always. And in our fears, God rescues us from those fears with God's peace. In verse 19, again, it says, it says, Jesus came and stood among them. Wait a minute. It says, Jesus went into the room and stood among them. It's fascinating because it actually, intentionally, the writer of John says that the doors were locked because they were afraid, so they locked the doors. And yet there's a statement that says Jesus stood beside them, next to them. And there is a lot of different exegetes. There's different books and commentators, and majority would agree on what this means. They would say, we have no idea. The only thing that we know is that even within a locked room, Jesus was able to go in and stand next to them. And he says, here's my, here's my arm, here's my hand, here's my side. And he proves to them. He says, the person that gives you peace, the person that walks alongside you, the person in the midst of your fears that is with you is the very person that was nailed to the cross and rose from the dead after three days. God has risen me, Jesus, after three days, is the person that is with you, that I am with you, is what Jesus is saying. You have power in that. There's freedom in that. It is the person of Jesus who died and rose again who is with you, in your time of fear, in your places of fear. And it says, I bring you peace. And then he says, 
And, and then John says, he breathed on the, he breathed on his friends. And, and throughout the Bible, breath is commonly associated with life, right? For obvious reasons. Breathing is an indication of living. Not breathing is an indication of death. And, and this was no accident that Jesus was making a blatant connection uh, to breathing to life. And they, this would have harked back to the creation narrative. Where in Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So when he breathed, this is a story about giving life. It's a story about how everything was exactly the way it should be. When in the midst of chaos, in the midst of fear, Jesus was able to break in, go into the room that no one else was able to make it. Jesus goes in and says, I breathe peace on you. I give you life. So right now you're living in death is what Jesus is saying. You're living in death. You're living in slavery. And I give you a different story. I give you a story of life. Live life. And I breathe that on you. And in the Old Testament, it's called this, it's this word shalom. I give you not just peace. I give you shalom. Uh, the presence of God, the wholeness of God, where everything is just right. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. It's this idea of wholeness and completion. And this idea of peace, I know we read peace all over the Bible, and we think of peace in our English dictionary, this whole idea of absence of conflict. And that's a very reduced and a narrow way of understanding what shalom, what God offers us, is. See, shalom is not merely the absence of conflict, but it's the strength we have in the face of it. Shalom is not the absence of conflict. It's the strength, it's the power, it's the source that we have in the midst of it. The power of shalom frees us from the grips of fear. Because again, fear is like being shackled. Isn't it? If, you've all, if you've been afraid of something, a deep fear of something, it feels like bondage, right? It feels like you're shackled to it. Even the Bible references it as slavery. In Romans 8.15, it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. If fear, if fear leads to slavery, as Romans says, then peace, shalom, leads to freedom. Freedom from those shackles. And it's the only it's the shalom that only God can bring. It's the shalom that God promises to bring. And that's what gives us life. The same God, Jesus, who died on the cross, defeated death, sin, and resurrected from the cross, that very person says, I give you life. Live it. Breathe it. There's a song that I put on repeat. Throughout this whole week, I put on repeat over and over again. I just want to read you a line. <clears throat> it's a song by, by Bethel, and it's called no, uh, no Longer a Slave. Let me just read uh, a, line, uh, a paragraph for, for you. It says, we've been liberated from our bondage. 
with the sons and the daughters. Let us sing our freedom. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me. And I will stand and sing. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I mean, that is, that is Romans chapter 8.15 in a song. I've been liberated from our bondage, adopted. We are adopted. We are your sons and daughters, and we sing for freedom. We've been, we've been released from the bondage of fear. We're drowned in perfect love. You rescued me. Jesus breaks in to those fears. When you escape, when you run away, when you lock the doors in this safe, confined place, and you don't let anyone in, you don't let yourself out, Jesus breaks in. I'm sorry to tell you, but Jesus is going to invade that space. He's going to call us to be brave. And he says, I'm going to rescue you from your fears. Hold my hand. Let's go. And some of us this morning, we need to hear that. We need to believe that. We need to have faith in that, that Jesus breaks in and rescues us from our fears by giving us peace through the Holy Spirit. Where does Jesus need to break in in your life? What are you holding on to? What are you afraid of? What are you running away from? Where does Jesus need to meet you? Where does Jesus need to break in? Because we get to number three, Jesus breaks in and sends us out of that room with his power. John 20 says this. It says, as the, as a, or 21 to 23, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed, as we talked about. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then verse 23 says something strange. Not strange, but kind of out of place almost. If you forgive the sins of any, then they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, then they are retained. See, what you have to know during this time is that it would be an absolute heresy to say that you can forgive, anybody can forgive somebody of their sins because that requires divinity, that requires power and authority. And the only, especially within the Jews, the only person that had the authority and the power to forgive somebody of their sins was God, Yahweh only. And and so even previously in the chapters, uh, Jesus has these run-ins because Jesus says, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you. And and the Pharisees say, who are you to forgive? You can't forgive people. The only person that has the power to forgive, the authority to forgive, is God and only God's self. And so what this statement is saying, you have the power to forgive. Of God. God has given you the power and authority, the same power and authority that you're able to forgive others to walk out of that room and to experience life outside of those doors. It harkens back to Matthew chapter 28. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The key word here is go. Now go. I am you have the power and authority. Now go. And now when we are shrunk in our own rooms, our locked doors due to our fears, Jesus breaks in and says, go. 
I give you the, the power that I have is also with you. And this power that I have that I give to you through the Holy Spirit is bigger and more profound and more powerful than the fears that you have in your life. And so let's go. Jesus is saying, you are missing out on what I'm doing in this world. You're missing out what I'm doing in this world. And the world is missing out because you're not in it. Now go. I give you power. I give you authority. Because true life, joy, transformation, healing, justice, reconciliation is oftentimes on the other side of fear. On the other side of those locked doors. And Jesus gives us power. Let me just read you. I'm going to end pretty soon. But let me read you a story that demonstrates the power of forgiveness, the power required to forgive is the same power and authority that God gives to us. Uh, this is an article that I read not too long ago. It says, in June 2015, a troubled man named Dylan Roof walked into an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, and took the lives of nine people. Two days later, as a nation simmered with outrage and disbelief, the families of those murdered by Roof were allowed, in accordance with the law of bond hearings, to speak by closed-circuit television to Roof. Television networks carried the feed from, from both rooms, the room where Roof stood, nearly expressionless, flanked by police, and the room where, the, where his victims' relatives were gathered. One after another, they spoke words of forgiveness to Ruth, even as their voices shook with grief and anger. Perhaps the boldest declaration of forgiveness came from Nadine Collier, daughter of a slain member, Ethel Lance. And here's what Nadine says to Dylan Ruth. He says, I she says, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again, but I forgive you, and I have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But if God forgives you, I can forgive you. If God can forgive you from what you've done, I can forgive you. That takes power. And it's the power that God has given us, not only to forgive, but to also walk out of, those, out of the room to face the fears, whatever those fears may be. And I want to think about that. I'm going to invite the worship band back up as we respond But fear is a lie, and oftentimes we, we know that. And oftentimes fear causes us to do things 
that are, that are irrational. And we hear things that fear tells us. It says, you can't. Nobody will love you. You can't love anybody. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. You won't be successful. You're not successful enough right now. You're not a good parent. You're not a good husband. You're not a good friend. Fear tells us and runs those lies into our brains. And we lock ourselves into a room. And Jesus is saying, I, I release you. I bring you peace through the Holy Spirit that you do not have to own that. You do not have to receive that because I've given you the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have to walk out of that room. Exercise the spirit within you. You have power and authority. Just know that God's love, God's love is not safe. It's dangerous. It's risky. God's love is not safe. It's risky. It's dangerous and requires faith. Faith to forgive. A faith to walk out of that room. A faith to pursue your fears. And I just want to end with this quote from C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves. He says this. He says, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal, not even to a dog. Wrap it carefully, round it with hobbies, with little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will actually become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable the alternative to tragedy or at least the risk of tragedy is damnation the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and all the worries of love is hell and so as we respond you can sing, you can think, you can pray, you can write. You can write on your, on your bulletin where it says, uh, starting today, peace will break into my fear of. Name that fear and declare that today peace will, will invade it, will break in and release you from it because God is with you always. And, and maybe you want to uh, write it in our prayer books, we have prayer books. And so anytime throughout the service or throughout the response, anytime throughout the worship time, if you wanna just come, you don't have to write your name, you don't have to tell us who you are. If you wanna just write it in our prayer books, here's my fear and God is gonna release it. We pray over that prayer book. At the end of the service, uh, we have a prayer team that will meet to my left, your right, that will pray with you, 
but do not leave here without prayer or some sort of prayer of naming it, of declaring it, that God will meet you in that locked room and walk you out with power and authority because of the risen Christ, the Christ that died on the cross last week, rose again three days later, is the same God that walks with us always. And so do not fear. Let's pray, God, thank you that you walk with us always. And that the Bible nowhere says that we will never fear, but it says that in our fears that you will come and you will be with us and you'll give us peace. And so, God, this morning we wrestle with fear, all of us, a fear of the future, a fear of the unknown, fear of whatever it is. God, will you just break in? Help us to name it. Help us to own it. And help us to believe that you'll do something. In your name we pray. Amen.